0: Hello again ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 99 of Radiance, my original Fallout fanfiction. As always, I do hope that you've been enjoying this little stroll through the Fallout universe that I've been weaving for all of us. And as always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, either at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All your thoughts and feelings are welcome on the matter. And if you do, go to ghostnobody.com. Check out Storm Rider while you're there. I mean, if you like dragonesses, orcs, elves and fantasy worlds filled with magic and demons and things, it might be right up your street. Check it out. And also, if you're in ghostnobody.com, pop over to the ghostly links section. Check out Mortis on either Amazon or Smashwords. Pick yourself up a copy and help support me. Keep me doing what I love. Bring in unlikely alien and mutant romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado... Let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. That's all Bethesda's deal with the bugs and the glitches and everything else. I'll just keep the crazy tales. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 99 Hunter hunted. Overwatch to all call signs. I'm in my attack position and have eyes on the target. No signs of movement All remaining tangos must be inside. Over. Fuller said into his comms unit as he lay on the metal support of an old billboard, bolted into the side of an old ruined highway overlooking the scrapyard and the ESF that converted into a base. Felt kind of strange being back here now. They'd been watching the place for over a day now to try and gauge what was going on with them. Rather than seeing them bringing in an unidentified prisoner who had a bag over their head and was trussed up, and then leaving with what must have been one of the numbers or possibly taking an extra squadmate, not much seemed to be happening. Wisp had finally decided enough was enough, and they decided to execute their attack plan. She'd opted to hit the base while the majority of the team was out, that way they'd meet minimal resistance while destroying their hardware, such as their primary comms and vertebrates, along with all the gear they brought with them from home, cut off their supply route. Fuller knew that ESF teams were capable and trained, of operating in the field away from their home base without support for months, if not years at a time if need be, but cutting off their supplies lines and their comms would put them royally on the back foot. Send them a message loud and clear, one that said, we know and we don't care. The position was now in fuller could see the far side of the base, where the main building was all that clearly, but then again he didn't need to. It was his job to hit both the comms unit in the form of the satellite dish mounted above the bird, on a long pylon and then the bird itself by hitting the fuel tanks and trying to detonate them with the specially explosive tipped rounds he'd gotten hold of. The plan was simple, punch a few holes in the armoured fuel tank with some regular AP rounds and then hit the leaking fuel with a popper top to make the whole thing go up in flames. Once the vertebrae went up, this would most likely set the whole place on fire and then force the remaining troopers and hopefully the numbers out into the open. They would then get hammered with fire from all the others who were set up in overlapping arcs around the only gate leading in and out of the compound. He knew that as soon as the fire opened up, they'd try and take cover in one of only a few spots, mostly around the open front end of the base. So he'd planned accordingly and he'd had Malachi set up some web traps for on them. So if anyone dove in for cover, they'd found themselves snared, and then easy pickings for both the shooters and the two armoured claws waiting in the wings to pounce if need be. Roger that, Overwatch. We're all set down here. No point waiting any longer, I think. So, on your mark, let's get this party started. Ambush one, over and out. Whisper reply came in clear. Fuller started taking deep breaths and holding them, before exhaling slowly. He raised his scope to his eye and zeroed in on the mounting of the top, holding the dish in place. And then with a slight additional pressure to his trigger, he fired. The dish went crashing down onto the roof of the Verdebird as the mountings blew apart. As an ultra-high-velocity slug hit it with enough force to turn the tungsten into liquid and burn clean through the cheap steel of the pylon. Next up was the vertebrate itself, and just as quick as a flash he adjusted his aim, never breaking his breathing cycle as he began to fire slug after slug into the tank housing. Thanks to the armour, the slugs managed to punch the tank without setting off the fuel. But that's where the popper top came in, and it did its job just nicely, sending the whole lot up with a loud whoosh that even he heard as far away as he was. The explosion itself was glorious. When liquid gold flames travelled up the river of fuel pouring from the ruptured tank into the rounded ro- large rounded pod under the Verdebird, the whole thing just exploded with enough force to lift the bird itself about 10 metres into the air before crashing back down in a flaming mangled wreck next to the building. It also had the bonus of effect of setting the main base itself on fire, as well as everything else in the compound. And it didn't take long for the ESF to respond. Two power-armoured figures raced out of the main building, which was now a blazing inferno thanks to the aviation fuel which had gone up right next to it. No sooner had they emerged into the open than the team watching the gates opened up on them from four directions at once. Three human shooters and one arachnachai, who was kind of hanging off another billboard to give himself a decent elevation. As predicted, as the rounds began to hammer their armour, making it ring continually like a struck bell... The pair of soldiers dived for cover to either side of the front gate and dove head first straight into Malachi's near invisible web traps, which sprung the second they came into contact with them. Even with power on, and armor on, and the enhanced strength it afforded them, the pair couldn't break free of the tightly wound sticky threads, which gummed them up as they tried to struggle against it, making it worse like being stuck in a web version of quicksand leaving them very rapidly defenceless for Ven and Passer to leap into action and to close in for, on them from either side, using their claws to easily pierce the chest plate of each soldier, putting them down for good. As he watched the two claws take out his former comrades in arms, Fuller did feel a pang of guilt in his heart, but he swiftly silenced it with the knowledge that at least their deaths were quick. "'far more of a courtesy than they would have afforded him "'if they caught wind of his continued life. "'All that's left now was to deal with the two numbers. "'But as of yet, the pair had failed to emerge, "'despite the building becoming a raging inferno. "'Overwatch, any sight of eight or nine? Over?' "'Whisped voice cut through the howling of the flames below. "'Negative, no sign. "'I'd use thermal, but the fire is so hot it's shutting down my optics.' So no sight lines. So they're either still in there, in which case they've burned to death, or we've missed them somehow. Over, Fuller said, sounding as confused as he felt. He was sure he hadn't missed them, as the team had only been and gone once since they'd been here. Once to bring in the prisoner that they were holding. Though who that was, he didn't quite know, and he knew it wasn't glory, thanks, to, thankfully to the size of the person. But he did feel sorry for whoever it was, because when they'd left, he'd seen them bring out a pile of plasma goo to be thrown into a pit at the back. So however they were, they hadn't fared so so well. That's when it clicked. The extra member! Overwatch to ambush. I believe we've missed at least one of them. There were two guards when they left earlier, and they had an extra member with them. And I think that was one of the numbers wearing power armour. So there must be only one of them left here. Over. Over. Fuller said. Roger. Well, all we can do is wait for the fire to burn down and then take a look. Not sending anyone into that inferno on the off chance. Unless they're a pyro, I doubt they're going to fare well in there. And even a pyro needs to breathe. Over and out, Wisp said. Well, that was that then. The plan now was to wait. As Fuller watched the heat from the fire set off a few smaller secondary explosions within the building itself, as gas canisters and various other flammable objects went off. But, after an hour or two, the place had basically burned down to nothing more than warped metal shell that stood holding nothing more but cracking and popping embers. The team did a quick cursory sweep of the remains, but they found nothing. Not bodies, no remains, nothing. I don't fucking get it. If one of them went to the team, and they left one here, where is that one? Shepard said, kicking at some of the embers, sending showers of sparks exploding into the air like startled fireflies. We must have missed them. Either they went out with the other team and were left holding the FOB in the city, while the remainder brought in that prisoner they had, and they must have left them there. And then they must have brought the other one back when they left the second time, Whispered. Moffat. Fuller scratched his chin and nodded. That kind of made sense. Number eight and nine, as creepy as the pair had been, had been never shown any signs of being disloyal to the cause or to the team themselves. So it was quite possible that they brought one of them with to the FOB in case of an encounter with Seven and his team. But that didn't explain why they brought the second one out now, unless they were planning on something. Do you know where the team would have set up to observe the railroad, Fuller? West asked. Not the exact building, no. But I know the area of the city they were operating in because I know where the entrance to the Railroad HQ is located. So we should be able to pick up their trail once we get close. But we'll have to be careful. When they're exposed like that, they'll be very vigilant. We only caught these guys off guard because, well, I know the defences that they had arranged and I don't know what they've got set up down there because I was never in the place, he said and Wisp nodded. All right, so we'll tread lightly. When we get close, I'll go cloud mode and scout the place out. She'll give us at least a heads up on what we are to deal with there. She said, and Fuller nodded. All right, then, let's get a shimmy on, shall we? He said, and with that, the team set off, leaving the ESF base to smoulder quietly to itself. Completely unaware that they were only a hundred metres from one of the two very people that they were looking for, who was at this very moment laid unconscious in a little copse of trees hidden among the tall grass. The t- trip to the city was a bit of a trek but the team made pretty damn good time getting down there in only a few hours. But as they began to move deeper into the city itself they began to notice the tell-tale sounds of shooting echoing down the major streets as somewhere deep in the city a major firefight was going on. Damn, sounds like we arrived into the middle of a war zone. What the fuck's going on in there? Shepard said as they listened to the echoing distant chatter of small arms fire. Mixed in with a few dull thuds of explosions. No idea, but I think it's worth investigating. You guys hold up here, I'll go cloud mode and go and take a look, Wisp said. You sure you don't want me to do it? I could use the flying practice, Pastor asked hopefully. Nah, better you keep your claws on the ground, big boy, because I think if I don't think I'll hear the end of it from your misses if you get your tail shot off or full of holes. "'By whoever's shooting over there, "'and I'm pretty sure a flying claw is a pretty big target "'and one they're going to try and take out.' Mm. whispered, giving him a grin, "'as Shepard wrapped an arm around the defeated-looking claw's waist. "'Don't worry, lover claw, "'you'll have plenty of chance to stretch those wings of yours soon,' "'she said reassuringly. "'As full of watch, Wisp poured out of the nose and ears of her body "'as Malachi took gentle control of her body and kept it safe. "'Hurry back, my love.' he said softly to the little floating golden cloud before him, and she did a swooping loop around his head before shooting off into the sky out of sight. As it turned out, it didn't take Wisp very long to complete her scouting mission. She was grown a grand total of fifteen minutes before she shot out of the sky and back into her body like a bolt of golden lightning. Before anyone could greet her, she sat bolt upright and looked at them with a concerned expression written all over her face. "'It's the fucking Brotherhood!' "'They found the ESF and hammering the living shit out of them!' "'She exclaimed in her f- and Fuller's face mirrored his surprise. "'How?' he exclaimed. "'No idea. "'But what I do know is the team's pretty much wiped out. "'They were down to one soldier and on what looked like one of the numbers. "'But the others are all dead, "'and the Brotherhood are moving in on them from all sides. "'They got them totally surrounded. "'Though I did see the numbers shoot down a couple of what looked like vertebrates "'with something that looked like lightning.' I get a feeling she's an elementalist," she said. "An elementalist?" Shepard asked. "Someone with control over various animal elements. The which ones are for up for Because 'cause I'm pretty sure I also saw her using fire as well, as she kind of flew in through a window while I watched. Hence, elementalist," Wisp said. "She can fucking fly. Oh, this just gets better and better doesn't it." Malachi well, groaned. "'Won't matter. Standing protocol is if we end up in a situation "'where the team's about to be wiped out, we're to liquidate the numbers "'to prevent them from being captured by the enemy. "'If we're down to one soldier, which, given the description you just gave me, "'sounds like the surviving number is number nine. "'Well, then she's as good as dead,' Fuller said. Wisp growled darkly and glared at him for a moment, "'before seemingly remembering that the whole reason he was here with them in the first place,' "'was that he disagreed with what the Enclave was doing and, it's, "'and what it took for her to calm down. "'Suddenly there was a loud whoosh high above them "'and as they all looked up they saw a small shape "'surrounding by a trail of fire streaking away from the city. "'I get the feeling Number Nine didn't quite feel like being liquidated today,' "'Wisp said with a bit of a sly smile on her face. "'Yeah, looks like it. But well, where's she going?' Fuller said. Maybe to meet up with reinforcements? Malachi offered and Fuller shook his head. We don't have any local teams in the area. We have a few intelligence assets, but that's about it. And I highly doubt the lieutenant would send her to call back up. She was very by the book, for the most part. She'd have carried out her orders, so the only scenario I can think of is the lieutenant got popped before she could carry out her orders. And now number nine it's on the run, Fuller said. Well, whatever the case, we've got to find her before the Brotherhood do. There may be a chance, however slim, that we might be able to get through to her, and possibly even convince her to join us. But, if that's not the case, better we pull the trigger on her than the Brotherhood capture her. She's been a guinea pig her whole life. Better get it ended by someone who understands that, than get plunged back into the whole thing over again, Wisp said. Well then, all right, let's move out, shall we? Follow that fireball, people, Fuller said, picking up his rifle and checking it, as the team fell into line and began to march in the direction that they'd seen the fireball containing number nine heading. As they walked, Fuller tried to run over tracking scenarios of how the hell they were supposed to be able to track someone who could fly like that. Though the little revelation came as quite a shock to him. Granted, they weren't exactly privy to what number eight and nine were actually capable of. That shit was very hush-hush. And the pair really hadn't given them all that way, much in the way of hints. He'd spent also some time thinking about how the team as a whole had treated them since they'd arrived. While they were while they were openly hostile to them, the disgust and dislike were obvious to everyone. Most of the pair looked like most of them looked at the pair like they were something nasty that someone had just trekked into the nice clean carpet but at least he could take some small measure of pride in knowing that he hadn't been like that with them. He might not like the idea of what they could do, but, by the way he'd seen it, they had no choice in being what they were. It wasn't their fault, so it did no one any good blaming them for it or being openly hostile to them. So, in his own way, he tried to treat them with some kind of measure of respect and some kind of empathy, and he hoped, or kind of hoped, at least gone some way towards maybe garnering some kind of trust with them. He also remembered how Number Nine had a habit of smiling at him every time she'd, he'd seen her. She was far from ugly as, a, as women went, and if it wasn't for him knowing what she was, he'd have never been able to tell that she wasn't your garden-variety human, just like him. But, to be fair, neither of them had been very talkative. But at least Nine had taken the time to at least greet him every time she'd seen him which was always returned and he'd swapped some forms of pleasantries with her. Number eight, on the other hand, was a much stranger bird. He'd kept to himself, and while he rarely spoke, Fuller was always acutely aware that he was watching and analysing everything that went on in the vertebrate and in the base. Plus, there were rumours floating around that he could make himself look like other people, which was disturbing to say the least, not to mention worrying, because if it was true... Finding him could turn out to be a proper nightmare. But right now, they couldn't focus on him right now. They had to focus on finding number nine. Though, that was going to be easier said than done, given that she could fly. But, they had two members who could do the same. What they really had to worry about, is what they were going to do when they actually did find her. Could she be reasoned with? Would she even try to talk? Or would she just come out swinging? What were the extent of her powers? As none of them had been told barely anything about them or what they were capable of. So, other than what Whisper hinted on, they were kind of going in blind on that front. After a couple of hours of searching, they turned up no trace of her or her whereabouts. It appeared that Nine had gotten clean away. So, what's the plan now, boss? We've been at this for an hour and given that she could fucking fly... She could be fucking anywhere by now, Shepard said, looking a wispful only, who sighed heavily and nodded. Yeah, you're right. Let's make camp here for the night, and then we'll head back to Diamond City in the morning. I think we're going to need to talk to Valentine about this. He's going to want to hear about this. He's probably heard about the firefight, as it is already, she said, and there were thankful nods around the tired group. But as they began to pitch camp around the edge of the swamp, Fuller got an odd sense that they were being watched. But no matter how many times he stared into the fog and how hard, it didn't yield any answers more than questions that were swirling around in the thick grey fog. The team took it in turns to watch over the others while they slept. When it was Fuller's turn, he stood on the edge of the camp with his rifle, keeping the small campfire stoked and fed while circling the area and watching for my lurks. "'or any other nasties that undoubtedly called this place home. "'But it wasn't a mile-earth that came for him that night. Yui watched as the group set up camp on the edge of the swamp. "'She'd heard them coming, "'as they waded through some of the shallow pools near the hut. "'She'd been hiding in and decided to hide and let them pass her by. "'But when she'd seen who it was, she'd decided to follow them. "'She'd heard them talking.' and she was under no doubt that this was part of Seven and Three's group, though where the two of them were was a bit of a mystery, as none of the pe- people in the pictures looked anything like this group. But there was one face she did recognise in the group, and it reckon- And when she did recognise it, it had struck her like a thunderbolt to the heart. It was fuller. As they'd walked, had made sure to remain downwind of the two massive death claws that the group I had with them, which, to her sheer amazement, she realised could speak, just as the reports had told them. And they treated them like normal people. Hell, she's actually beginning to get jealous that these deathclaws seem to be treated better than she herself ever had been. She began to wonder if part of the plan Philip had told her about, maybe they'd sent Fuller to infiltrate the railroad in the hope of getting him into seven and groups f- further down the line, maybe? But as she listened in, using the water in the mist to keep herself hidden. She concealed the fog around her own body and made it thicker and harder for them to see through. She heard Fuller talking, and he was talking about ESF protocols and tactics. There was no way that he was infiltrating this group. He'd actually joined them. He was a traitor. That's when it clicked into place. That's how Seven's people had known where to hit them and how. Fuller had told them where the base was and that shooting that had took out the dish and the vertibird, it had had to have been him. Well, he was the team's sniper and given his choice of weapon, the damage fit perfectly. He'd helped them to kill his own people. But the question that was driving her to madness as she followed along behind them was why? Why would he do this? Why would he join these rebels and terrorists? What in the hell was in it for him? What were they giving him? Yui couldn't shake these questions out of her mind, and the more she tried to push them down the louder they seemed to scream in her skull. She had to have answers, and she knew just how to get them. The group seemed to be giving up for the day, and as she watched, they set up camp on the edge of the swamp in a high dry place. They came they set up some makeshift camp beds from logs and gathered wood, and made a few a frames. one of them set up a small fire pit right at the centre of the camp to cook food, which, at the smell of it, made her stomach growl, though thankfully not loud enough to alert them. After they'd eaten all, they sat around talking and she listened in, trying to get a gauge on these people. She was so very tempted to kill them all outright, given that she had the drop on them here. She got the distinct feeling that doing that without either seven or three present would probably be rather unwise, as who knew how Seven would actually react to such a thing. No, it was better to observe and strike when the time was right. And that's when things got weird. As she was watching, one of the group, a young-looking human man who was wearing what appeared to be one of those old Chinese stealth suits, sat himself down on the lap of one of the big death claws. And if that wasn't shocking enough... The big death claw actually embraced him and started nuzzling the side of his face. Yui felt a mouth drop open at this display and just as she was beginning to wonder if the death claw had some kind of oversized pet to him or something the pair actually kissed. The man just up and turned his head, planted his lips right on the mouth of the death claw as if it was nothing and the pair just stayed like that for a couple of minutes. Yui had to physically close her jaws it was hanging down so low but it appeared that this group wasn't through with the shocks they were going to deliver to her, because as she continued to watch, others in the group joined in. First, it was the black-skinned woman who, to be fair, looked as hard as nails, and kind of had an air of a seasoned veteran around her. But just like the man before her, she planted herself in the lap of the lighter-scale deathclaw who was in possession of rather an odd set of wings, and what appeared to be feathers all over him but just like the other man, she seemed to have absolutely no reservations about planting a kiss right on the mouth of this claw. Then there was the other black-skinned woman who was sat lounging about on the abdomen of what appeared to be some kind of spider-centaur creature, who seemed to be fucking knitting of all things. She was draped over his abdomen, and when the other two had shared a kiss, this seemed to have given her some ideas, and she wrapped her arms around his torso from behind, leaned around his shoulder to plant a kiss right on his mouth, allowing his two little mandibles to stroke the sides of her face, all while his hands simply kept knitting as if nothing was happening. In fact, the only two that didn't seem to be getting all loved up were Fuller himself and a ghoul woman, who by the look of her was already asleep on one of the makeshift cots they'd rigged up. Hewie guessed that the ghoul woman would probably be taking first watch and getting her rest in early while the others got themselves settled in for the night. So despite her thirst for both vengeance and answers, Yui settled herself in. Patience here was going to be key. As it turned out, she was absolutely spot on with her estimation. When the others went to sleep, the ghoul woman sat up on the edge of the camp with a rifle at the ready in the middle of her lap. Yui couldn't think for the life of her why they'd want to bring a ghoul with them in the first place. But given the way this group was made up, it wasn't all that surprising, really. And she began to wonder what it must have been, f- must feel like to have actually been turned into one of them. Like, must it have seriously hurt to have been exposed to that kind of level of radiation? The kind that l- literally rewrote your DNA on that level? But eventually, she went back to bed. Before she did, though, she woke up Fuller, and he took her place at the little guard post next to the fire. Knew he felt herself tense up. She'd spent the last few hours planning on how she was going to do this. It was going to be a royal pain not just getting to him, but getting him out of there. Before the others realised that he was gone, she'd never tried doing this with another person before, so she just hoped it worked. Because otherwise, she was going to have a major fight on her hands, and one that she knew in her heart she wasn't really strong enough to handle right at this moment. So, once the ghoul woman was back asleep and snoring away happily, Yui moved herself in as close to the camp as she could get comfortably. Fuller seemed on edge, and he was constantly pacing about and looking out into the fog. It seemed that he could feel her watching him. He just didn't know where it was coming from. And that kind of intrigued her, because the entire time she'd been watching the ghoul woman, she'd never shown any kind of sign of awareness of her presence. But with him... He was blatantly aware of it. One thing she was going to have to be careful on here was making sure that he didn't accidentally discharge his weapon because the last thing she wanted was him firing that bloody thing off in the middle of the day, or in the middle of the camp. Suppressed or not, it would, the distance it would snap the entire team awake like someone hit a metal bin with a hammer in the middle of the camp. Though, thankfully, Fuller's trigger f- discipline meant that he'd kept his fingers away from the trigger while carrying it. Now, she just had to make sure that the voltage wasn't too high, so she didn't accidentally trigger the damn thing herself. So, when she got close enough to the little patch of trees at the edge of their camp she was hiding in, she simply leant out and hit him full in the chest with a small thin lightning bolt from her right hand. No sooner had it made contact with him than Fuller instantly tensed up and began to spasm as the electricity flowed through his body. And soon as she released the shock, she walked in close enough to catch the inevitable fall. He fell limply right into her arms. Though his weight actually did surprise her. He was quite heavy for someone of his size. More than she would have believed. Not that she'd actually had much experience carrying unconscious men around. Well, exactly zero, Truly. Unfortunately, so focused on holding Fuller upright, was she, that she failed to notice the rifle slip from his hands. So as she grabbed hold of him, it was only when it made a loud clattering sound on the rocks at, his, at their feet that she remember it. But by that point, it was too late. Uh, what's that? A sleepy voice from behind them said, and she turned just in time to see the oddly cute head of the spider centaur boy pop up from the oversized camp bed he was sleeping on with the black woman wrapped up in his tight, tightly in his eight legs. As his head turned to look around himself, his eyes locked onto the pair and widened in a look of amazement and alarm. Alarm! It's nine! She's got fuller! He yelled at the top of his lungs, scaring the rest of them awake in a second. The woman wrapped in his legs burst out of him like she, he was a living bear trap that she just sprung open and released her. All around her, the others were bursting out of bed and alarming themselves. She had one chance at this and it was either going to work or, well, she was really and truly fucked. Using what little energy she had recovered during her rest, Yui summoned the flames to her and the winds as well. But as amped up as it high as she could with what energy she had remaining in order to compensate for Fuller's weight and before the group could converge on her she shot upwards into the sky holding Fuller like a pair had just been fired out of a cannon. Oh no, you fucking don't! came a bellowing roar from below her, and when she glanced back she saw that not only was there a flying death claw hot on her heels, but a glimmering, shimmering golden cloud. that was only just visible thanks to the haze of flame swirling around her. It was three! The flying deathclaw looked like an angry dragon chasing her, as his massive wings cut against the air as he pursued her relentlessly. He was surprisingly fast for his size, and he kept bobbing and weaving in order to gain speed diving down towards the ground then ripping back up into the air while that glittering cloud that was three was streaming at her like a fluffy missile. She had to lose the pair but how the hell was she going to do that carrying an unconscious fuller's dead weight around and it was sapping her energy rapidly and it was slowing her down to boot. The pair were gaining on her by the second. She was going to have to do something drastic or one of them was going to take her out of the air forthwith. That's when the clouds ahead of her gave her an idea. Reaching out with the last of her strength, she charged the particles in the clouds and felt them respond to her. The first bolt of lightning hit the outer edge of the firenade and scattered off her like an explosion of light, creating a blinding white flash as it did. Both three and the Deathclaw had to take evasive manoeuvres to avoid being struck. Yui pushed harder than ever before and swiftly another bolt of struck, and another, and another. Soon the pair were dancing and weaving all over the place, while she carried on gaining ground rapidly. Pretty soon the pair were nothing more than specks on the horizon. She'd done it. She'd lost them. But now the question nagged at her. Where the hell was she going to go now? Ewey had made a point of studying the maps in the area quite well when she'd been cooped up in that makeshift base, and in the vertebrae. So she did know that there were a few abandoned military bases in the area that were scattered around. She figured one of the facilities and at least one of them would be a good place to start. Though she'd probably have to watch out for the Brotherhood, as they kind of like to raid places like that. But right now, she didn't exactly have too much of an option. She was royally running on fumes, and if she didn't set down soon, she was going to fall out of the sky and kill both herself and her cargo in the fall. So concentrating on her knowledge of the maps... She plotted a mental course from where the swamp was and which direction she'd flown in. She'd passed some some mountains a few minutes ago with some old listening posts atop them. So she should be close to one of them. Hopefully it hadn't been hit too hard by things like mutants or the like. As she flew down over the old camp it was silent as a grave. The only dangerous thing she saw was a few mole rats and rad roaches lurking about but one lightly toasted mole rat later, the rest fled in fear of her. Which was just as well, because the last shot she fired wiped her out her power reserve completely. Now, she was just a normal person until it recharged, which, given that she hadn't had anything to eat in quite a few hours, would probably be quite a while. She had to get fuller locked up or tied down or secured in some way before he woke up. So, using what little physical strength she had left to her, she half-dragged, half-carried the unconscious man into the base itself in search of a place to lock him down, which she rather swiftly found in the form of a billet room deep inside the place. Using some handcuffs she'd found laying around on a locker, Yui fastened his wrist together over the head bar after laying him down on one of the beds. Then, taking some wires she'd found in the same place, she tied his ankles to the foot bar, leaving him stretched out a bit. Once she checked his breathing was sound, she decided to go hunting for some food to eat. Once I'm eaten, I'm back up to my strength, me and you are going to have a nice little chat. So don't you go anywhere, OK? She said to the still unconscious Fuller. She was actually kind of giddy. She'd actually pulled this off. Not only she she snatched this traitor right from under their noses, but she'd managed to evade three and one of their pet death claws. Now when Fuller woke up, he and she were going to have a little chat and she really couldn't wait to hear what he had to say for himself. This was going to be interesting. So it looks like Fuller's got himself into a little bit of a jam. How's he going to be able to get himself out of this one? Is he going to be able to talk his way out? Or is her rage going to overwhelm number nine and cause him a few more problems? Is the team going to be able to find him in time before he gets himself smoked to a cinder? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions and a few more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying I'll see you all next time.